Work, workforce, and workplace norms are shaped as much by popularized portrayals as they are by our lived experiences. From sensational headlines, like The Great Resignation, to successful series, like The Office and Silicon Valley, to skits and stories shared on our social media feeds, what we see shapes what we believe. Let's go behind the scenes to discover what's new now and next in the world of work, and we'll challenge the traditions of what it means to live well and to work well. This is Success From Anywhere. Today on Success From Anywhere, we'll meet a CEO whisperer and modern Mary Poppins, who includes a compass in her bag of tricks. She's also an advisor, author, and podcast host. Please join me in welcoming to the show, Deb Coviello, founder of Illumination Partners. Welcome, Deb. Hey, Karen. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I can't wait to have this conversation and share it with your audience. Well, one question I like to ask every guest, because this is a show about work, is what was your first paid job and how did that job inform or inspire your career trajectory? Oh my, are we going back to my very first job as a child or do we want to fast forward into career? You're the guest, you make the call. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I think I'll say the very first job I had was being delivering papers. I was 12 years old. I wanted to be independent. I had to find creative ways to be able to make money and do what I want to. But I will say that I have always been uh, industrious, creative, wanting to be independent, find my way. Nothing can hold me back. And I would say then fast forward, the first job I got a real grown up paycheck was with Raytheon Company. I was in their manufacturing management development program out of engineering school. And I was absolutely thrilled because I had the distinct opportunity of not just picking a career yet, but sampling four different careers in the area of manufacturing. It was good money back then. Engineering was great. So I'm really, really grateful for having those opportunities and making good money in the process. And along the way, you navigated your path to the C-suite. Say more about that journey. So I appreciate that. I don't think when I got out of college and I started my engineering manufacturing career, I wanted to get in the C-suite. However, there is a theme that goes throughout all of this. I want to be able to say what I want. I've got thoughts. You should ask my mother. When I came home from high school, I would just download, regurgitate everything that's happening because it was my way of processing the day and putting it in perspective. Now, ask my husband. Now, I do the exact same thing. I will download the good, the bad, the ugly, etc. But I think out of that, just doing good work, being a high performer. Over my journey, I, again, was in a manufacturing environment. I fell in love with the area of quality, quality auditing, engineering, quality engineering. How could we make this product better, faster, so that our customers really enjoy it? I really love that area, compliance, et cetera. And then I kind of navigated into quality engineering, like, oh my, the customer calls and they have a complaint. What do we need to do to get to the root cause? So that started bringing out some of my critical thinking skills. I pulled out of my pocket when I was a child. Why, 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 why are these things happening? And I think over time, 
despite that curiosity, that outspokenness as a child, being also a good listener, I got really good in the area of problem solving and root cause analysis. So that is a great skill. Manufacturing leaders want that. So I got pulled along uh, through various industries, the electronics manufacturing industry, the dot-com industry. And I ultimately landed in, and this is a transformation point for me, was in the flavors and fragrance industry or a chemical industry. And in there, I just had great, great advocates that saw my talents, my curiosity, and my bulldog kind of <laughs> persona. Let's get this thing done. I hate waste. Let's go. All of these were skills that belong in the C-suite. But I will tell you then, once I got to a particular point, I had honed my skills, got my certifications, my advocates were pulling me up. I hit a wall. My advocates went someplace else. I couldn't get ahead. And a lot of people will have the persona of, oh, okay, there's the wall, there's the ceiling. When I took the high road or I said, I'm going to go around this and I found the next opportunity. And that's where the journey starts coming to an end is that I got that corporate role that leveraged my skills, my technical skills, and allowed me to grow as a leader. I became the head of operational excellence and then later promoted into the head of quality for North America for a flavor company. And it was in that time that I realized my technical skills didn't serve me anymore. I needed to learn leadership skills to remove barriers from the people around me. And that got me much farther. Having been in the C-suite and learned a lot of those skills, I decided to leave corporate and form my own business. But now I have a passion not only to drop in and help C-suite leaders with their business challenges in quality, in operations, whatever they need me to be. But the greatest thing that I do now as a leader, and this is what C-suite leaders do, and I teach those C-suite leaders, is how to elevate their people capability. Because we can fix any business issue, but in that area, the C-suite leader also has to look at building the capability of the people to sustain the new level of performance, the new landscape, et cetera. So that's kind of how I arrived <laughs> and building the brand, the drop-in CEO. And I do help a lot of C-suite leaders as well as the C-suite leaders of tomorrow to get there. I want to go back to something important you said. You were talking about what happens when your advocates and allies and sponsors shift. And at every level and in every kind of organization, we can all relate to that. That could range from the internal sponsor that's helping you advance your career to an external stakeholder, customer, buyer, investor, Take us into some of the strategies that we can all use at any level when there's a significant shift in that base of influence. So this is the point where you got to put your big girl pants on and then try to advocate one for yourself and find those new advocates. When we come up in our career, advocates find us and then we feel so lucky to have those advocates and we welcome them bringing us along into the next project, the next promotion. But a couple things that I do share with individuals is one, um, at the end of the day, you need to learn how to be your own advocate. Number one, you need to be able to feel confident enough to not with any arrogance, but say, I've done this. I and the team have accomplished that. 
I believe this. You kind of need to come into your own after your 10, 15, 25 years experience and be able to say, this is what I need, I stand for, and this is where we need to go. So I would say that's the first strategy. But then the other thing, and you learn the hard way when you try to push your initiative forward, and then it's met with deflection, dismay, let's take that offline. I soon realized the hard way you need to build stakeholders, you need to learn the skills of stakeholder management. So when you start a new role, it is about looking around the landscape, not just in your own ecosystem, but who are those decision makers, the finance, the commercial, the procurement, the legal team who have the ear of the C-suite leader, you need to get to know them on a personal level, on a professional level, what keeps them up at night and keep them close and regularly check in because then when you show up to push that initiative, you've already had these conversations with these people, they have your back and then it amplifies your influence when you have those stakeholders around you that can support you as you're trying to move things forward. So those are the two things, advocate for yourself and build Uh, a bunch of advocates or stakeholders around you that know you and have your back. There are a number of our listeners who may not be CEOs and that might not be a goal. And yet part of their role or responsibility, either as a sales leader or an internal influencer is to affect and engage with CEOs and other members of the C-suite. How can people prepare to be effective in a first conversation and then to earn an invite back in a conversation with a CEO or a member of the C-suite? I really appreciate that question because I've actually, I'm coaching somebody right now who is positioning themselves to potentially get a promotion and interface directly with the CEO. And the first thing that I've advised them is that you've got to change your mindset in that they are human just like you. They might just have different or more experience than you. The first thing you need to do is put yourself in that position. See yourself at the same level. Perhaps you can steal a few techniques or behaviors. You've seen other C-suite leaders until you develop your own, but you have to already see yourself at the same level. That will level the playing field where if you see a separation, it could impact your confidence when you want to say, I believe this, we should, and we must. Um, The next thing is when I do meet somebody like that, because I do drop in and partner with C-suite leaders and they got more experience. They know their business. I do spend a lot of time listening to what is and is not said because we as aspiring leaders need to get as much data as we can very quickly and look at what When they look tense, when they look aside, when they look adrift, when you start picking up on signals, on things that are bothering them, read all the data, read the body language, what is said, what is not said, and then build the art of reframing what you heard. Because as soon as they say, hey, I believe this and the business is doing that and things are trending that way, when you listen intently and then reframe, oh, this is what I hear the opportunity or problem is. You're building a human connection. People respect you. Again, this is about building a relationship and respect, not even about the business. They will respect you and say, yes, you get it. Boom. It's about that human connection. It's not necessarily about what you went in to talk to. And then they'll give you more. And then you reframe. And then maybe after a couple exchanges, then you say, you know, I was thinking, have we tried this? I believe that. Would this help you? and build a relationship that way, all of a sudden you find yourself getting very, very comfortable with somebody that you perceived was above you 
when actually you're collaborating with them as an equal. You see yourself going into a conversation affects how you show up in a conversation. That's so wise because when you walk in, if you have the fear prevalent or I'm not prepared or I don't know what I'm doing. If you're seeing yourself that way, you will show up that way. And I appreciate what you said about see yourself as an equal. You're a human being talking to another human being. How would you want someone to interface with you? And you're calling out something important, which is be a student of success. Look at other people in those scenarios. And even if it's not totally your style, try something out. Be a student of what you observe that's happening in the room. Now, tell us more about what are the skills and tips that you have for people who are listening who do aspire to be CEOs. What are the skills they most need to focus on building besides building a network of influence sponsors, advocates, and allies, and learning to speak the language of the C-suite? So there's a few things that I have seen missing, and one is having strategic vision. One might think that, oh, that's for the uh, high-end consulting company that they hired. It's that thing that that CEO built, but we never actually teach C-suite leaders or ones that are spying how to do strategic planning because it's so much more than just cascading down, like here's the vision for the next five years, we're gonna have these three initiatives and here's how we're gonna fund it and here's our, our milestone. We think that we're not able to do that. Sometimes it doesn't even exist. And when I ask those people that are trying to get into the C-suite, that if you don't already have a strategy laid out to take your business area or the business in whole from A to B, you need to develop that skill. And it starts with you seeing what the future looks like. Look and see what the future of the business is. Where do you see it going? And if you see where you're going, then you back engineer, well, what does it take to get there? So you need to first be able to see the future because only then can you articulate it to others and bounce it around. Then what are those two, three, four things that will enable us to get there? More resources, more capital, what have you. And then think about what kind of talent and resources you need to round out that organization and then paint a vision of phase one, phase two, a timeline and critical things that will ground you. If we get to this juncture, we find we don't have enough money. What are those things that help you make key decisions? Because when we get to those junctures, people are going to be looking at you and saying, hey, we planned this plan. We hit this barrier. What do we do? So if you have core values and we're not going to compromise service to our customers, we're going to do it at any cost. Quality is paramount. We're not going to sacrifice safety. Those will help you, those stakes in the ground, be a leader. So I'm going to start with strategic thinking and being able to lay the future out because sometimes a company won't even have one. You could be the first to present it. So that's one. <laughs> I could keep going, but I just wanted to pause there because it is really, really missing and it was missing for me. Did you know that 68% of workers say a hybrid workplace is their preference? Make hybrid work for everyone with Robin. Robin is the industry-leading flexible workplace platform for connecting people with rooms, desks, and each other. We've helped companies like Peloton, Toyota, and Hulu build better workplace experiences. Plus, we integrate with the tools you already know and love. To learn more about how we make flexible work a reality, visit www.robinpowered.com. What I'm hearing is strategy and storytelling will differentiate you 
on that path to the C-suite. And when I think about telling a compelling story, when I think about strategy, especially in terms of the C-suite, part of what you highlighted there is being able to identify gaps in the existing plan or potential risks that exist in the environment. What are some of the top challenges you're discovering that CEOs are facing now? This is where the organic back and forth go, but I am working with a few right now and they're alone. It's lonely. They might not have board of advisors to talk to. So you could be part of that board of advisor because they have to make hard decisions. They have to set the future, but to your strength, if you become a partner with them, listen to them, provide solutions, troubleshoot with them, you might be able to abet that loneliness that they have being in the C-suite and maybe become a valued partner. What I also find CEOs, if their specialties are in the area of strategy and sales, they are wound to, you know, tight to be able to make a sale, be volatile, react to every customer's inquiry. It's a lot of action and you have to be very active in order to fill the pipeline. The problem is some of them will then say, okay, where's my stuff? They will disrupt the operations, disrupt certain things, and you can't have that. CEOs need to know where their place is, where their strengths are, and be able to then let other competent people do the work in their area of expertise expertise without disrupting. Don't micromanage, collaborate with your C-suite leaders and let them do their job. That's a challenge at every level of leadership. We all tend to want to work on the work that we know how to do. And one of the challenges of being a senior leader is we don't know what the future holds with the highest degree of certainty. And yet that's a job requirement. Look far into the future and help us get ready for it. When you think about what CEOs most need to know now to be more effective, what is one thing you wish every CEO knew based on the work you do as a drop-in CEO? I'm actually going to answer that with something a little bit personally, because I've also come across a CEOs that are very humble. They like to focus inward on their organization and leave it to the marketing people to put out in the world what the company represents. And sometimes the CEO sometimes will be so humble to a fault, it's a family business, shucks, I just want to support my people, that they don't put their thought leadership out there because at the end of the day, customers want to build trust with your company. They don't want to build trust with a social media post and your marketing people direct. They want to hear about from you. What do you think? Why is your brand re resonate with the customers? I want more CEOs out there putting their own thoughts out there into the world because at the end of the day, people need to connect with you and build trust with you and then your brand, not have your marketing department push the brand forward. I think that's a big missed opportunity. I wish more CEOs would share their thoughts and not only be an inspiration inside the company, but also outside because those are the future customers. And when you think about customers, do you believe that every CEO needs to be a salesperson or are there other models to be effective in those customer relationships in the C-suite? It's interesting you say that because I, <laughs> I have the great fortune of working with a company uh, where the CEOs, I have been after them and after them to get them on my podcast because I want to give them a piece of content. I want to support them, put them out there. And 
crickets, crickets, crickets. And I'm saying, oh, you know, here's an opportunity, complimentary. Let's bring your voice out into the world. However, I soon learned oh, one of their people in strategic business development is an agent, is an advocate, is a great speaker for the company. And you know what? At the end of the day, I'm trying to connect a human that I'm interviewing with their potential clients. It doesn't have to be the CEO of the company, but somebody who you entrust that has the values and the voice of the company and can positively project that to the community. So I, I love this question because as a CEO myself, I don't have all the skills. There's a lot of things I don't like to do and oh my, I outsource them. You could outsource your brand messaging to somebody who could be a great advocate. And speaking of content, I recall reading some of your content that focused on the importance of expectation setting between leaders and the people that they lead. And when I think about the importance of expectations, I often say unstated expectations always go unmet right? As leaders and people who are led, we hold these things and we don't speak them out loud, but we somehow think the person on the other side will read our mind and do it. Say more about the importance of expectation setting and how to do it in a way that's effective for employers and employees. Again, what we say and what we think could be actually two different things. And sometimes we thought we told people what we wanted, and then we forgot to tell that person. And I will tell you, as an organization gets bigger and bigger and bigger, you lose the connectivity to the individuals, and then your message, your expectation gets diluted. I will say, and it's even in my book, that um, one of the... C one of the compass points in the CEO's compass is performance. And performance is not necessarily the results, the sales, the market share, but the performance is really what a CEO should focus on. And it is the performance of the individual in terms of their internal capabilities. And so, yeah, you start a job, the CEO tells you, here's your job description, do X, Y, and Z task, but they never ever really go over what are the competencies we expect. So that I see is a big gap that you need to have agility. You need to be able to think ahead. You need to be able to face customers, handle difficult situations. And when we don't articulate that in the job description or in the values, then all of a sudden the CEOs get upset about the performance and then the perception starts building. And then there's a complete breakdown there. What I advocate, and I have done this in job descriptions and even when I have one-on-ones with people always start with what can I do to help you from a development perspective? If you can close development gaps or your essential skills, they know their technical job, they can tick off those tasks. But I make sure it's very clear, not only do you know the competencies you need, and let's talk about how to close those gaps. When leaders close those performance gaps, they ultimately get the results they're seeking in peace of mind. They don't the organization is going to be disruptive and crash and you're going to lose valuable, valuable people. And it's a missed opportunity. I could go on and on about that, but it is huge. If you don't clearly generate those expectations, and if not you, a recording of you, your HR department, a second in command, make sure people are aligned with the expectations, the values, the purpose of the company. You'll be a stronger and sustainable company. What are the other points on your CEO compass? Eight points on the compass. The northernmost point is peace of mind. Peace of mind is what leaders should be in pursuit of versus simply the results. Because I have seen time and time again, when you only focus on the results, you can ground your people, work 24 hours a day and get the results, high five, make those stakeholders happy. And then what happens if you haven't dealt with the underlying 
performance of individuals, they're confident, they're essential skills. Then you start seeing things backslide again, and you're on this terrible cycle of trying to get results. What I find in order to get peace of mind is certainly have a well-defined purpose, which is one of the uh, uh, compass points, as well as having focus on the performance of the people based on clear expectations. Three other compass points that are tied closely together are people, process, and platforms. But let me caution you, it's investing in your people on building their confidence and how to communicate. It's the process of how people collaborate together through confrontation or, or get through challenges together. That as a leader, we should be coaching that and then even platforms, the tools that we give them to anchor these skills in place. It's got nothing to do with your ERP system, but what platforms and tools do we give people to be successful and accountable for not only the technical, et cetera. But I'll quickly say there are two compass points, West and East, that I find a lot of CEOs miss. And I call them past and pride. When we go in heads first on an initiative, merger or an acquisition, we just do the tactical work. What I find is they don't slow down and get to know the past of the people that maybe they're acquiring or bringing into their team or business unit. It goes to the culture. We bought the company. We brought the people on for a reason. There had to be a culture that was worth bringing along. We fail that. You lose an opportunity to connect with humanity. And the second one is pride, the pride of the people. It's their intellectual property that we need to celebrate we think people are indispensable. You can just hire another resource. But when we bring people together, they have they have these gifts. And that if we don't take the time to know what their gifts are, you might not need them now. But paying respect to the human, and then you never know when you might need those talents later on. If nothing else, you've built some connection and respect, and that person will have your back whenever you go into a crisis or what have you. Past and pride are the two compass points many leaders miss, and they need to add it back to be able to get back on track. Bringing people together is important, and that's why we have a segment in the show called The Virtual Water Cooler, because people say they miss spontaneous conversation in the office. These are five quick questions where you say the first thing that comes to your mind that helps listeners get to know you a little bit better on a personal level. Are you ready? I am ready. Can't promise, but I'm ready. <laughs> what time of day do you do your best creative work? <laughs> Before the birds, 5 a.m. <laughs> that answer is trendy with this current set of guests. Now imagine every day has 25 hours rather than 24. What are you going to do with your extra hour? Sleep. <laughs> I need my sleep to keep this energy going, so I will get nine hours sleep versus eight. If <laughs> If you had to eat one meal every day for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh my God. Somebody else asked me this today at a staff meeting. I'm going to say pizza. I'll tell you when I was pregnant, I ate an entire pizza at one sitting. Pizza. There it is. You heard it here first or maybe second if you were in the staff meeting. <laughs> now imagine the zombie apocalypse is coming. Who are the three people you want on your team? Four. <laughs> my three kids. I got one who is in the military, my husband who is a sniper in the military, my son Danny who could talk himself out of anything, and my daughter, well, she dresses nice, so and she's good to hang with. So <laughs> don't mess with Deb. There's the word sniper was used more than once. So every CEO listening, watch out for what's gonna happen when she drops in. Last question: how can folks find you and keep in touch with your thought leadership? 
dropinceo.com is my website and also the drop-in CEO on LinkedIn. Very active there. Reach out to me. Would love to talk to you. Awesome. Well, thanks to Deb Coviello, founder of Illumination Partners, for joining us today on Success From Anywhere, because success is not a destination. Success is not a location. Success is available to anyone, anywhere, anytime. Thanks for listening. 